Welcome everyone to Lessons with Mike. Happy August. As you know, a new month means a new episode of the Mike and Jesse monthly movie review. Woo. Hey, I'm Jesse. There, there's Jesse over there. So this month, how many do you have, Jesse? I have six. How many you got? I have less than six. I have four. So I'm going to open up very briefly uh, with one that you saw last month that I finally got to see early this month. And then you can speak on yours. And then we'll uh, we have two that we're going to save to the end that I'm excited for. But I'm going to start off with Batman, the doom that came to Gotham, an animated film where there's an alternate version of Batman where he has to fight Cthulhu. Yes, pretty much the basic summary was that it happened like I briefly talked about it last month. Basically, it's a Elseworlds where Batman is set in a HP Lovecraft style world. Yeah, and I felt like characters were killed a little too like what what do these characters do like uh dick and uh, not tim uh jason or the film's version of jason it was a different name but they were killed really quickly and didn't really do much my favorite part of the movie by far was uh the I, thought that was, I thought that was dick grayson i'm pretty sure it was dick grayson there was dick grayson but there was another character that was jason todd but it was an alternate oh yeah yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't actually named jason todd or it was yeah. tim drake one of those it might have been. But yeah, Oliver Queen as a Crusader Templar with magic, holy Catholic arrows. That was pretty cool. Yes. One of the best parts of that movie, definitely. I loved how they really went with the the connection of Batman's father really being a villain. I love it when they go that route where uh, Thomas Wayne is not just some nice rich guy, but he actually has some dark secrets. Uh, that was also a theme in The Long Halloween where Falcone had a relationship with Thomas Wayne of some sort. So I love it when they go and they take these idealized versions of Batman as of his parents. And as he gets older, he realizes, oh, they weren't really that great of people. I love it when they go that route with it, but it doesn't happen too often. What did you think about that movie? I know you saw it last month, but do you have any thoughts? Yes, it's pretty good when it comes to like DC animated movies. And I, like I said, I'm a big fan of the Lovecraftian aspect of it as well. I am not super familiar with Lovecraft's work. But I did like how all the characters uh, were twisted and turned into things and different versions of the characters in this. The only thing I really got was Cthulhu. I had never heard of, uh, what's it, Insocknor? Or what was the... Uh, uh, I think one of them was Hathor and maybe Nyarlathotep, if I could be wrong on that. Yeah, see, I'm not very good, familiar with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft works, the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Either way, it was, it was entertaining, it was good, it was interesting. And uh, yeah, moving on, Jesse, you've got some you want to talk about. So tell us about those. Yes. So these next two movies, I just happened to saw both of them on HBO Max because I just got bored one day and just decided to flip through movies just to see what I can talk about. So the first movie I want to talk about is comes from 1986 and it is called Cobra and it stars Sylvester Stallone. Is it about a cobra? No, but his nickname is Cobra. What's it about? Okay, so basically what it's about is in the city of Los Angeles, there's these murders that keep coming up across the place. And the main perpetrators of these murders is basically a social Darwinist radical group that wants to kill all the weak so only the strong can inherit the earth. And originally in the movie, it's just played that all of these murders are like separate incidents. And then Cobra, like I said, who's played by Sylvester Stallone, figures out that, hey, 
these murders are actually connected to each other because they all share the same idea and motive of trying to get rid of the weaker. And then there's another plot point later on in the story where there's a woman named Ingrid who, spoiler, becomes becomes a love interest of Cobra later in the movie. But Ingrid's character, basically, she sees the group along with the leader's group, who I believe was called the Night Slasher, kill someone, but then she runs away, well, drives away from the crime scene. And then basically it's the Night Slasher's goal for the rest of the movie to confront Ingrid and kill her because she witnessed him killing someone else. And then That's the, interesting. I have a question. Why is he called Cobra? Because his real name is Marion Cabretti. Oh, okay. Is there like any kind of like snake pun or hidden meaning? Because his last name's Cobretti. It sounds like Cobra. Yeah, I get that. But does it have anything to do with snakes? No. There's, okay, interesting. Yeah. But that's that, I've never heard of that. That'll be interesting to, to yeah. look back and see. Uh, it is a, it's, it's kind of, so some fun history about it is, have you ever heard of the movie called Beverly Hills Cop? I have, yes. Yes. So originally Sylvester Stallone was going to be the lead instead of Eddie Murphy in that movie. But Sylvester wanted to make it more of a action-packed movie than a comedy movie. So he got, so he left that project. And took basically his ideas from that screenplay and the novel that the movie Cobra is based off on. And What's then the, what novel is it based off of? I want to say it was called A Running Duck or something like that. But I do know it had the word duck in it. Huh, interesting. And, and it was made into Cobra. Interesting. Wow. I'll have and, to check that yeah, and another funny thing about it, it wasn't really well received when it first came out back in 1986. I believe currently it has like a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but it seems to have grown like a cult following and a fan base with it. Fascinating. Well, what's the other one you saw? Yes, so the next movie that I saw was a comedy movie, and it was called Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. You ever heard of it? I've, I've never seen it, but I have heard of it. All right, so basically the main plot of the movie is there's this guy named Peter, and he owns a place called Average Joe's. It's a gym. He then has, like, this confrontation with his rival gym, with a rival gym gym owner called... I got to look up his name. Sorry, I forgot what his name was. Hold on. But I do know the rival's gym is called Globo Gym, and basically he buys... He tries to, like get Peter's Average Joe's gym and demolish it to make a new parking lot for Globo Gym. And he needs $50,000. Peter needs $50,000 before the month's end in order to make sure Average Joe's doesn't go under. So he comes up with this idea after failed attempts already from his teammates to raise money to enter into a dodgeball tournament. So dodgeball tournament, they eventually do get to the actual tournament itself. And by the way, they are trained by a professional dodgeball player back in the olden days who's now currently in a wheelchair now. Oh, man, what a bummer. Yes. And then it just goes from there, and then they obviously win the tournament because it's one of those movies where obviously the good guy has to win. Yeah, they, by the way, they save the gym. By the way, the character from Globo Gym is White Goodman. He's played by Ben Sealer, and Peter is played by Vince Vaughn. Oh, okay, interesting. White Goodman, like Saul Goodman. Yes, and there's a lot of funny scenes in there too as well. I'll have to check that one out as well. I've heard some things as well. But, but remember, uh, Mike, 
Remember, Mike, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a dodgeball. I couldn't dodge a wrench, I don't think. I don't think I'm not very good at dodging. I think if someone threw a wrench at me, they'd be successful in hitting me. Fair enough, but remember, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a dodgeball, so keep that in mind whenever you play dodgeball next time. I don't play dodgeball that often. It's been several years, actually. Uh, yeah, same here. Which oh, organize awesome. a large game of dodgeball. True. Also, there's like plans of development for a sequel for dodgeball as well, but I'm not sure when it's coming out. Oh, fascinating, fascinating. So next one I've got that I want to talk about is, and then we'll move on to yours because you have a duplicate, and then I'm excited for that. But I saw Spiral from the Book of Saw starring Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. This is the first Saw film I've ever seen. Jesse, have you seen any of the Saw films? I have not, but I've seen clips. See, I I like the film Spiral. Um, people have said that it's a lot of the same and it doesn't do anything new but I didn't get that because I hadn't seen any of the other films. So to me, it appeared new and fresh. I loved the, maybe I'm just naive, but I didn't, I didn't predict anything. I had no idea who the killer was. I just wasn't paying attention, I guess, but I enjoyed the traps. I thought they were cool. Uh, one thing though, I was like, I, I didn't really feel all that bad for the people for the most part up until the end, because he's targeting people who have done these horrible crimes. And I was like, Oh, these people kind of deserve it. They don't deserve to be tortured necessarily, but like, you, you've done all these things, you've done all these terrible, horrible things, and it's like, eh, is it really that bad that you're dying because you've done all these terrible... Anyway, he targets corrupt cops. Uh, for example, people who have lied on the stand, a cop who shot a witness so there couldn't be a trial, things of that nature. Uh, Chris Rock's character plays the new... plays the son of the former chief of police who was played by Samuel L. Jackson, and he is, you know looked down upon in the case because he snitched on another dirty cop and you know just didn't go well for him in fact at one point in the film someone he calls for backup but backup arrives late because they don't want to help him because he snitched on one of them that was you know corrupt and samuel L. jackson plays the uh, his father who's the chief at that point uh, <laughs> but you know later on not so much but yeah, it was a really interesting movie. I thought I thought the traps were creative. I did think it ended rather abruptly, though. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like we will ever see a conclusion to it. Um, prior to this, I didn't think Chris Rock could be seen in a non-comedic role. I, I still don't think so. I think his performance is still one of the weaker aspects of the film. Um, just because it's hard for me to imagine him or to take him seriously at all. So he was able to pull it off here more so than than in other projects he's been on. But yeah, I would recommend it. It's an interesting watch for sure. Uh, so Jesse, your next two, I'm very excited to hear you talk about these. Yes. So my next two was basically not a double feature per se, but it was two movies directed by the same director who is Martin Scorsese, who, by the way, is slowly becoming one of my favorite directors in movies because his movies are just so phenomenal and so good. Like you don't I'd know like to remind you. I'd like to remind you that his four-hour epic about the Native Americans, uh, a murder of Native Americans called "Killers of the Flower Moon," is coming out this year. Yes, I've heard of that. I'm very excited for that. But anyway, please continue. All right. So the first movie, I'm not gonna like give a whole lot of plot details on it because I do want you to see it, Mike. But the first movie came out in 1995, and it is called Casino. So Casino is basically about this guy whose name is Sam Rothstein, who's also called Ace in this movie. And he's basically sent 
by the Midwestern Mafia to Las Vegas to run a casino. And that's basically the movie. He gets sent to run the casino and then the daily shenanigans that happen with it as well. Well, I can already tell you that I'm sure there's some violence and profanity and some really tense scenes in the movie. I'll have to look it up. There's several Scorsese's yes. films that I haven't watched yet that I'll have to that are on my list. Yes, very much so. And I believe when it released at the time, it was the movie with the most swears in it, I believe, at the time. As of, I think, he broke I think that record was broken, maybe, with the next film you're about to mention. Oh, yeah, definitely with the next film. But at the time, Casino was the highest swear count at one point, I believe. And also, there's a great cast in there. We got... Robert De Niro as the main character. We also got Joe Pesci in a supporting role. And that and the main girl is named Sharon Stone. She's also a good part in this movie as well. And James Woods is also in there as well. Wow, James Woods. I didn't know he did stuff. Well, I guess this was like years ago. So Yeah. I, I know James Woods from his really annoying tweets on Twitter, which is no longer called Twitter. It is now called X. Uh, another reason that we should just maybe this whole thing is a plot from Elon to get us to delete social media because this is just this is just not not cool, man. Well, it's just apparently not, it's apparently it's not working because y'all just download threads. I downloaded threads, used it for like a week and then haven't opened it since. Yeah, I have not downloaded threads because I don't want more social media. I'm happy with what I got. I wish I had less social media. The only reason I have social media is to stay in touch with people that I know. Like, I don't follow, like, I don't follow celebrities or people I don't know. If I've spoken to you or if I've had a conversation with you, then yeah, I might follow you. But typically my social media is reserved for people I know, and so I can communicate with them. But anyway, moving on to your next I only, I'm like the same way. I only follow people that I know. I don't follow all these celebrities because I don't want to get one of those. What's what's the thing called where you have like a lot of followers that don't follow you back and you get a complex format? What? Like, what are you talking about? Did, oh, social, social comparison theory. That's it. You did a paper on it. My thesis was on social comparison theory, yes. And one aspect of that that I looked at was when you engage in downward comparison, which is when you make yourself feel better by looking at someone who is beneath you. There's also upward comparison, which you make yourself feel you, – you lead yourself into feeling worse about yourself by looking at people who have more than you on a specific metric. For example, you could be using upward social comparison on follower count. Oh, so-and-so from the club has 300,000 followers. I only have 300. Therefore, I am not worth as much. It's a very, very silly way of thinking that is not beneficial. And unfortunately, we're innate. Our brains are wired to compare things that way. It's very unfortunate. But uh, getting out of the trap of social comparison is, is difficult to do. So... <sighs> I don't know if there were a way to just not have follower count. Like, what does it matter how many followers you have? Maybe a social media could come about where the follower count is hidden, where no one knows your follower count except yourself. And yeah, you can see mutual followers and things of that nature, but you don't need to know how many followers someone has. It's just silly. Anyway, before we get bogged down in the details, I'd like you to go over your next film. Yes, and like I said earlier with Casino, I just didn't want to talk about too much plot details because I do want you to see it as well. Oh, yeah. That's what we got to save. We got to save some of the details for sure. 
Mm-hmm. And I will say, comparing comparing Casino to Goodfellas, Goodfellas is still the superior movie. And as of right now, I might have told you this, but as of now, Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. Which, by the way, you still need to watch. Fascinating. I will. Yo, yo. We have returned. We have, yes. But yeah, we were just about to talk to your, talk about your next film, which is... Yes, my next film is, once again, another Martin Scorsese film, but a more recent film. I, this year will be its 10-year anniversary of it, but the film is called The Wolf of Wall Street. And basically, And basically, it's just a biographical retelling of the life of Jordan Belfort. It's true. He actually makes a cameo appearance in the film. Yes, he's the guy who introduces Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's Jordan Belfort at the very end. Yeah, I really liked the movie. I thought it was uh, really funny, and yes. it was it was it was so silly. I loved it. <laughs> it just goes to show that in this life, in order to like be like really, really, really successful, you got to get your hands dirty. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, I've dabbled in the stock market myself, but uh, you know, I'm not making anywhere near those kind of numbers. Nope, me neither at all. What yeah. else do you think about? It? Anything you want to add before we continue? Uh, yes, the casting was great in that movie as well. We got Leonardo DiCaprio, we got Margot Robbie, we got Jonah Hill in there as well, who is not as comedic as he is in like regular comedy films, but still pretty funny too as well. And he's good. Yes, and he's only in it for like the first 30 minutes or so, but Matthew McConaughey's character is very funny too. Yeah, in the very minor scene that he's in, or the minor group of scenes. But yeah, it's a really good movie. It's a pretty long movie. Very, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. The Quaalude scene was hilarious. Though I didn't hear that part. What? The Quaalude scene was hilarious. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, do you, if you have nothing else, we'll move on to the final the final importance. Yes, the why probably the majority of our listeners are listening to. Yeah, so uh, we we did Barbenheimer. Yes, we did our first double feature in our lifetimes that we can recall. Yeah, I've never seen two films in the theater in one day before. That was that was a lot out of me. Yeah, uh, it was it was which, for me too. Which one did you prefer of the two? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Oppenheimer. Same. So we'll talk, we'll talk about Barbie first. What did you think about that? I thought it was. I thought it had like its funny moments too. There are some really funny scenes. I really enjoyed the first uh, 30, 45 minutes where she's just happily in Barbie land, and then he's like, "Hey, what about dying? What about death, guys? Are we?" <laughs> and then everyone kind of freaks out. It's kind of funny. Yeah, and then they're going a quest to figure out to the real world. And then, yes, there were some a lot of funny dialogues in that scene. A lot of funny yes. visual gags too. Mm-hmm. Will Smith. Not Will Smith. Will Ferrell is probably one of the funniest parts of that movie. <laughs> he is. He was really good in that movie. But uh, one thing I'd like to point out is that the film makes a point of showing that the board of directors in Mattel is all men. When And they even say this in the film that in real life, the board of directors is not all men. It was just an artistic choice. So, <laughs> so they're portraying... And, and it's a fictionalized portrayal of the world. And also... Jesse, you're Knuff. Yes, I am Knuff. No matter we're, how many people don't think I'm Knuff, I am Knuff. We're Knuff. Ken was great. Yes. 
It's like I wanted to start a patriarchy, but then I found out there were no horses. <laughs> that's that's a paraphrase, but yeah. And I love that basically Barbie's version of a male dominated society is just men who like horses. <laughs> you know, there needs to be um, matriarchal societies are not very common in nature. Uh, some species, some species of hyena, I guess you could call it that, but they're not. Uh, I think the biggest example I can think of are elephants. Yeah, in elephants. matriarchal society. But in matriarchal societies like elephants, the men, the male elephants, always wander off on their own when they get into adolescence, and they just wander away, and they seem yep. like they're missing out on the community of the herd. But you know, it is what it is. I'm not an elephant expert. It's because they're in must, and when they're in must, they're basically the most dangerous terrestrial animal on the planet. Uh, yeah, they can be. They can stomp on you, or hit you, or whack you. That's, there was this one thing I saw in a nature documentary where a man got not trampled by an elephant, but stomped by an elephant. That his intestines came out, and he survived oh. too. He survived. Yes. Oh wow. Good for him, I guess. I mean, it might have sucked, but cool. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Barbie. Very, very interesting movie. Yeah, pros and cons to it. The uh, yeah, I really would have loved to see more of Alan because there was Barbie Land and Kinland, but there was never Alan Land. What's up with that? Well, isn't it, wasn't it explained in the movie that Alan was just like one thing and then that got discontinued pretty quickly after? Yeah, but still. There needs to be an Allen land. But yeah, Mike, well. it's just Barbie land. It's not Barbie and Ken land. It needs to be Allen land. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was funny enough. There were a lot of jokes. And, yeah, you know, it is, it is unfortunate that a woman cannot walk alone in the park in some places and feel safe. That's silly. Like, why, why is that the case? It's terrible. This should not. These should not be things that happen. Everyone should feel safe. Everyone should be safe. These are not. These are things that need to be solved. And um, I don't know how you solve that. Like, how do you? How does someone get in their head that it's okay to mistreat someone? Like, why? Uh, they're taught hate by their parents or peers. They probably see it in society, cultural norms that dictate it's okay to treat someone in a negative way. It doesn't anyway. I don't want to get bogged down in the details, but uh, it's a real bummer. And I get yes. that. The that. main point of Barbie is treat everyone equally. That's how. That's what I got from it, anyway. Yeah, I, I think you should. I thought the main point was this: you should not like Barbie. Her quest to avoid cellulite. I mean, I think the movie. It's like, oh, oh no, buy the product, buy the product, buy this, buy that. Uh, I don't know. The the main message of the film, I think, is that you should get validation from within and not without. One of my favorite passages of scripture from the Gospel of Thomas is when Jesus Christ says, The kingdom of heaven is not a place. It is not above you. It is not behind you. It is not below you. It is not, it is not in front of you. The kingdom of heaven is within. Beautiful passage of scripture uh, that I think really uh, relates to the message here. Because Ken, he tried to find his happiness from Barbie, and Barbie tried to find her happiness in barbie land and, and looking a certain way and acting a certain way but once once her you know once her feet touch the ground it's like oh this is a problem why is it a problem why anyway uh moving on yes so any final thoughts thoughts on barbie at all mike oh uh, no do you i ain't got any okay moving on to oppenheimer i really liked it a lot more than i thought i would best I would film of 2023 so far 
Oh yeah. Easy. One of the best ones by far. I love that last hour, especially after the bomb was dropped, the amount of the, the acting, uh, was, was incredible, especially with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. It was very nice to finally see him. And it's been several years since he's done a serious major film like this outside of the Iron Man and Avengers movies. So it was really interesting. He finally got to do some nice acting and uh, he did really well in the film, I think. Robert Downey even said that that was his favorite film to act in. Good, good. He did very well. And there's a lot more history into it. It's not. And I love the time gimmick because we have the black and white from Strauss's perspective and then the color from Oppenheimer's perspective of what happened and what's going on. It's very interesting. A very a Christopher Nolan movies always have a unique way to tell the story. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I think it really works well in this one. And even though lots of major actors, they were only in the movie for maybe a minute or two. Remy Malik is in there for a short period of time. Gary Oldman. Josh is. Peck. Yeah, Josh Peck is in there as well. Very Jack cool Quaid. Who else? Yeah, Jack Quaid is in there. I don't think he does a whole lot. But it's a very, very loaded cast. Uh, I didn't know this at first, but the, the one scientist was Benny Safty, who directed hmm. Uncut Gems. Oh, wow. Yes, the Safty brothers directed Uncut Gems. And one of the scientists was played, the, one of the major scientists, actually, was... Uh, yeah, it was a really good movie. I thought the 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 bomb was done very well. I thought the inner portrayal of Oppenheimer's psyche and his consciousness and what was going on in his head, I thought it was done very well. And yeah, it might not be historically 100% accurate. The uh, the scene with uh, where he reads I am become death, the destroyer of worlds while having sex 20 or 30 years before he melts the bot before he makes the bomb. That's probably didn't happen. I'll, I'll safely say that didn't happen. But, you know, it's an artistic license that these films have to take when you're telling a historical story to make it more interesting to draw parallels. Yes. So I just got to say the dropping of the bomb in the Trinity test, like the build up and the countdown to it and the direct aftermath of it was probably the most tense I've ever felt watching a movie like in a long time. And I also got to say too, at the very peak of the explosion where Oppenheimer says the quote from the Bhagavad Gita again, which is now I am become deaf, the destroyer of worlds also is a great point of the movie as well. And one of my favorite scenes also, and also a good bit of the movie that you didn't talk about too much was how Oppenheimer eventually reacted to him being responsible in his own sense of killing billions of people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the aftermath of his bomb being used to make even more powerful weapons. And I love that final scene at the end where uh, Oppenheimer goes to Einstein. It's just a beautiful scene. I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, I would encourage you all to watch the film. It's very lengthy. And it's something you definitely have to pay attention to because there's a lot of characters. If you're not super familiar with the history or if you're not super familiar with the major scientists, you're not going to really understand who these people. I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot of research, but a basic knowledge of who people were and a background of who these scientists were. And even if you don't have that, as long as you pay attention, I think you'll be, be okay. I think you'll enjoy it. One thing about the film that I really enjoyed that they went this direction. They went to the persecution faced by communists in this time period. Yes, it was the Red Scare. It was all during the Red Scare. Which was, it's it's terrible. The whole concept is just awful. People were mistreated just because of, you know, Oppenheimer's brother, who was a successful person as well, uh, was unallowed to do, was not allowed to do a lot of things. The movie even hints or suggests 
that Gene Tadlock was murdered and not just and not suicided, but murdered. So it's interesting. Uh, There's another theory going around that in that scene where it's like she was murdered is actually Oppenheimer thinking that he murdered her himself by leaving her. That could be it. It could be an examination of his own psyche and his own ideas. But, you know, looking at her actual death report, doing some research, it was uh, someone did say that it would be a good way to to murder someone and have it look like a suicide. But, you know, uh, at this point, I think I don't think the consensus will change. I think it's pretty well established that it was a suicide. I don't think that can be uh, maybe maybe some new information comes out, but I don't think there's enough information to say to say definitively that it was uh, it was not. But did you have any final thoughts? I think one thing that would have made like the Trinity scene like more better, in my opinion, was where Oppenheimer says his quote, but it's actually the actual audio from Robert Oppenheimer himself saying it. There should be some audio of that that will exist at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. That would have been like really, really good because fun fact, my first like interaction of knowing who Robert Oppenheimer was, was from the very first Godzilla trailer from 2014. Oh yeah. Is that in there? Yeah. The trailer had the quote in it. Remember the first trailer? I'll have to go back and watch the Godzilla trailer because I do not remember that at all. Oh, also popular fan theory. Ops, well, obviously, since Oppenheimer made the nuclear bomb and all that stuff, the Oppenheimer film is canonically the first film in the MonsterVerse. Canonically, uh, that is incorrect, because the MonsterVerse, up until 1944, takes place in a regular human timeline, does it not? No, because there's, like, other prehistoric stuff and all that, all that stuff as well. But I'm saying that as a joke, because... Because of the nuclear bombing attacks in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's how Godzilla came to be. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Anyway, maybe um, maybe the next Godzilla movie will feature uh, a cameo of sorts. Oh, the next Godzilla, like the next Japanese Godzilla movie is coming out this November. It's actually supposed to be set literally in the post-war era but not like 10 years after it's set i believe in the 40s instead of the 50s so it's very interesting to see how a godzilla movie would be like in that time frame that would be interesting to see one that's not in the present day but with uh up-to-date graphics and here's an interesting thing the budget for secret invasion uh, the mcu show was i believe lower than the budget no um I believe the budget for Oppenheimer was lower. Let me look up the budgets just to make sure. Because the budget for Secret Invasion is about $200 million, But the budget for Oppenheimer, and mostly all real practical effects, yeah, the budget for Oppenheimer was only $100 million. So it's incredible how, with much less money, they were able to make a much better-looking movie. And it and Barbie have already made more, I believe, more than or close to double their return. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, that opening weekend was the fourth highest grossing weekend of all time. Yes, it's almost like people want to see stuff that's not just superhero movies. I'm so happy to see, like, more movies outside of superhero movies are becoming the norm now. I am excited that there are less superhero movies, and I'm excited they are flopping so we can see more uh, more unique and more original stories. 
Uh, yes. I know Barbie technically is not an original story because it's based off of a brand. Uh, but it's and an Oppenheimer's story. not an original story because it's history. But I, I find it hard to believe that you would see these movies coming out five years ago when the superhero movies were all the craze. You would think, oh, there's no way either of these movies were successful. But it's very fascinating how they were both able to be incredibly successful. And it's a funny thing, too, because I forget what the term is in marketing, but there's a term where people would release something on the same week as something else because there's a group of audience that will see their movie and not the other movie and vice versa. But with this movie, both fans of the stuff see each movie. So it's like a reversal of that one, if you will. Yes, it is. Because think about it. If you go to see Barbie, but oh, there's no tickets. Okay, I'll go see the Oppenheimer movie or the other way. Oh, Oppenheimer's not available. I guess I'll see Barbie. So people will see, and you know, the whole big meme internet push that was probably organic. That probably wasn't a studio driven thing. It probably was an organic thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we got to see both of them. We'll have a party and we'll see both of them. And that was really interesting. I think that contributed great to the success. What do you think the final box office totals of the films will be? Like in like for Barbenheimer or just them individually? Individually, what are you thinking? I think Barbie will probably max at maybe six hundred million low end. And for Oppenheimer, I believe it would probably on the low end max out at around four hundred. Both of those movies have already made more than that. Oh really? Really. Oh wow. Um look hmm. up the uh, the box office stat. If you used Reddit more frequently, you would know this, Jesse. I deleted Reddit a Why couple weeks back. Why would you delete back. Reddit? Why? Why'd you do that? I got bored of it. What's bored? Okay, so I'm going to pull up the... As of three days ago, Barbie grossed over $750 million worldwide. Hmm. Yeah, so it's getting close to a billion. And what about Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer? Let's see. Do-do-do-do-do... So the Oppenheimer box office is currently, as of right now, four hundred nineteen million worldwide, and then Barbie, eight hundred eleven million worldwide. Oh wow! Yes, yeah, so thank so, you. I need to update my numbers. Oppenheimer will end at six hundred million. Barbie could very well, like this is just a high end estimate, but I believe Barbie could very well break a billion. Jesse, that's not a high end estimate. That's almost that's a guarantee at this point. Oh really? I believe so. Yes. If you look at the numbers, it's destined. It's it's pretty sure to happen. Hmm. Well, anyway, we need we need more movies where it's like different genres, but people will still see it anyway on the same day. Like I would love to just like see a either a sequel to the next Barbie movie and the next Christopher Nolan movie come out on the same day or the next Martin Scorsese movie and a comedy movie come out on the same day. Well, yeah, that'd be really cool. If, uh, Saw Patrol. That's one that's... Uh, that I've oh, yes. <laughs> where the Paw Patrol. And so I don't think that one will go over as well. But anyway, everyone, thank you for being here. Jesse, thank you for being here. Everyone, thank you for listening. And tune in next month where we will have another movie recap for you. Yes. But let's just say the implications of Oppenheimer, and I need to read the book that it was based off of, American Prometheus. Prometheus gave man the fire 
and then he was punished forever by the gods. He gave man the ability to destroy themselves. Now that we have an atomic bomb, we could very easily wipe out all life on this planet. We could very yes. easily do that. And hydrogen bombs, we're done. Like, if a bomb right now went off in New York City, the entire East Coast becomes a radioactive wasteland. That is how much more powerful the nuclear bombs now are than they were 50, 60, 70 years ago. The destructive power keeps multiplying, and there have been so many instances where nuclear weapons have almost gone off. Uh, there was an incident in North Carolina, actually, where a plane carrying nuclear weapons crashed. Pieces of the nuclear bomb were never recovered. I discussed this incident in detail in episode four of my program. I encourage you to go watch that. But if you want to look it up and research it, it's the uh, 1952 Goldsboro B-52 plane crash. But how long before we all just blow ourselves up? And the fact that they detonated it and they did the calculations... Well, this could just set off a chain reaction that goes on and on forever. It just shows you how deadly these things can be. Right. And also, did you ever get around to reading up anything from 1983 Doomsday? I haven't yet. Also, I made a mistake. It's the 1961 Goldsboro crash. I misspoke earlier. 1961. Remember it. Yes. But uh, I haven't read that Doomsday scenario yet. Perhaps one day I will. Mm-hmm. It make it's like even more chilling after you see Oppenheimer because, like we said with Oppenheimer, visualizing what the future could be, it turns out like even worse too for that timeline. Hmm. Well, hey everyone, thanks for listening, Jesse. Any final thoughts? Um, like I just said, I really hope there's another double feature like this in the future. Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Hey.